Welcome to The Trouble With Sex, a show that exposes the naked truth about sex, love, and relationships. Here at The Trouble With Sex, we look at your most secret desires, your biggest frustrations, and your most private fantasies. I'm Dr. Tammy. As a sex therapist and relationship expert, I've helped thousands of individuals and couples improve their sex lives and enjoy more intimate and fulfilling relationships. People don't like it when you mess with the comforting master narrative. I think there's a whole generation of women struggling with monogamy, and they think that something's really wrong with them, but after they read my book, they will see that if you're a woman struggling with monogamy, you're just a woman being a woman. In each episode of The Trouble with Sex, we get up close and personal with a leading expert, researcher, scientist, or influencer as we answer your questions and share insights into the most pleasurable, sometimes painful, and often forbidden aspects of the human experience. To all of our listeners out there who have a vagina or love someone with a vagina, I want to tell you about Good Clean Love. They're a natural personal care company. They specialize in female-friendly lubricants and vaginal care products, and I personally use all of their products. If you want a discount of 15%, go to their website, goodcleanlove.com, and type in TTWS15. Today on The Trouble with Sex, I'm here with anthropologist, cultural critic, and best-selling author, Wednesday Martin. Wednesday's memoir, Primates of Park Avenue, was an instant hit. And she's challenged us to think differently about gender roles, parenting, motherhood, and more recently, female sexuality and infidelity. In her latest best-selling book, Untrue, Wednesday turns what you thought you knew about female sexuality and infidelity on its head as she explores what women really crave and why they cheat. So welcome to The Trouble with Sex Wednesday. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that we get to talk about sex. I know, and I love that you're here so that we can talk because your book has really rocked the world. You have brought to the surface some of the biggest secrets about women and sex. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. And what I really like about Untrue is that I got to speak with 31 experts, most of them women, about recent science and social science about female sexuality. And the great thing about that is, well, what I hope is that I'm kind of crossing stuff over for a lay audience that might not otherwise have access. And it might give women permission to feel a lot more normal about who they are and what they want because we've really been sold a bill of goods. So let's tell our listeners a little bit more about what you mean by untrue and what the book is about because you really are taking an anthropological look at women and sex and you did interview a ton of experts but you also did a lot of research about women and the history of cheating and why they're Mm -hmm. cheating today and you have a different message about women than we've heard before. I hope so. The title, Untrue, is a double entendre. It's a play on words, right? 
untrue as a euphemism comes from a time when it was impolite to say that women were unfaithful Mm -hmm. or promiscuous. So you used the term untrue. But there's a double meaning in the title because while the focus is more narrowly female infidelity in different cultures and species, the broader focus of the book is female sexuality and all the untruths that science and social science and pop culture have promulgated about female sexuality. You know, starting with the notion that females are more naturally coy and reticent because they have one precious egg and that males are naturally more pugnacious and assertive and horny because they have all these expendable randy sperm, right? (laughs) So we grew up being taught that. And it turns out that female scientists and social scientists have been revealing that those platitudes about male and female sexual behavior are untrue. What we were taught in college, what we're taught still sometimes by medical textbooks and certainly by pop culture texts, is promulgating some myths that female scientists have been very busy unraveling. It's just that we didn't have access to this information. So I'm one of the people trying to cross it over. So the whole idea that men are propagating the species and they're spreading their sperm around and you have to have sex with a lot of people because they have Mm -hmm. to get everybody pregnant and (laughs) women just have to sit home in the cave and protect that one egg it's so precious yeah that's right that's not true that's not true so for a long time we based our thoughts about men and women oddly, on fruit flies. (laughs) There was a study done in 1948 by an English geneticist named Angus Bateman. He studied some fruit flies and how they reproduced. And he decided, based on his experiment, that male fruit flies benefited. They increased their reproductive success if they mated multiply. But female fruit flies, he said, when they mate multiply, they do not increase their reproductive success. Okay, whatever, 1948, fruit flies, test tubes. What does it have to do with women and men today? Quite a bit, actually, because what we extrapolated from that experiment that fit very nicely into our prefab narrative that men are from promiscuous and women are from monogamous (laughs) was that, well, it's not just fruit flies, it's all mammals, including humans, right? So now we're going from insects to mammals and mammals to humans. What happened was this presumption um, that men are horned dogs and women are not that interested in sex got naturalized and legitimized by science. And it held on for quite a long time. And it's still hanging on in a lot of quarters. Um, and but it's he, based on this fruit fly it's study. It's based on this fruit it's fly based study. based on sperm. And then lots of anthropologists came along after that and said, that's right. Well, I mean, we know from Bateman's study, so it just makes sense that in our evolutionary prehistory, like man and woman and baby were in a cave and he went off and, um, you know, caught, got some meat and brought it back for his woman and the baby and they lived in this monogamous heterosexual dyad and so on. Okay. Turns out none of that is true. And there's been a sea change in the way we think about human origins and human sexuality over the last decades. We know now that we evolved as cooperative breeders. We evol- So wait, wait, tell us what that uh-huh. means. Explain all that to us. So cooperative breeding means that we evolved living in these pretty rangy groups that we looked out for one another and that we mated multiply and raised offspring 
cooperatively, right? So and that was how we she took it, a big village. It was more than a bumper sticker. It's how we lived and why <laughs> we're here as a species and why we survived. And that's why we're here, thanks to cooperative breeding. But that notion persists in our minds that it was the heterosexual dyad that is always and forever and that got us here and it's natural and it came about because of this compromise um, for the good of the offspring. The woman sort of tamed the man. All right. It's a lot of nonsense when you look at the cooperative breeding hypothesis, which is much more than that now. It's pretty much accepted in mainstream science but a lot of people don't know about it yet. So cooperative breeding really indicts our idea that we evolved from monogamy, that monogamy is natural. Even more than that, more recently, this great scientist at UCLA named Patricia Gowady said, wow, we've been quoting and citing this study by Angus Bateman. The fruit fly study. Yeah, the fruit fly study for like decades and decades now. What if we tried to replicate it, but this time with all the advances in DNA technology that we have? Because what we're seeing on the ground when we look at female animals of many different species and female human beings, they don't seem naturally monogamous. And it seems like they are benefiting from mating multiply. So has anybody replicated this study? No. Okay, I think I'll do that in my lab. So Patricia Gowady gets some fruit flies together and she replicates Bateman's experiment. Lo and behold, she discovers that female fruit flies do benefit from mating multiply. She can't replicate Bateman's study. Now that failure to replicate his study sent shockwaves. And there are scientists still who don't want to believe that we have sort of undone this foundational assumption. But, you know, Patricia Gowady was really acting on a growing body of scientific evidence showing that this was a lie, that females were naturally more monogamous. So so in your book, when you found out all this science that was bad science that couldn't be reproduced, you did this research on this history and mm-hmm. different tribes and the bonobos. And <laughs> I love the bonobos. Was, Everybody was, loves the bonobos, the, a female, that, female dominant bonobo. species. So for a long time, we based all our assumptions on chimps. And we basically created this narrative where we said, well, look at chimps. It's male sexual aggression is natural, shall we say. And these are very close non-human primate relatives. So, you know, perhaps um, male dominance is also natural. And then a primatologist named Amy Parrish started talking about what she was seeing among bonobos. And Amy kept saying that the female bonobos she observed, they got to eat first. They got groomed all the time. And she said, wait, those are signs of dominance. Let me look at the veterinary records. And in 25 cases of serious near-lethal violence, the violence was inflicted by females on males. This is like a reversal so of chimp life, So what are you saying, people. that women are going to take over the planet? Yeah, well, what I'm saying is that we have to make peace with this bit of truth about our evolutionary prehistory we're at least as closely related to bonobos as we are to chimps. So we're at least as closely related to, and our evolutionary history is as informed by bonobos, which are the original lesbian matriarchal hookup culture, because the females <laughs> like having sex with each other, and it's how they build a power base. 
this is part of our evolutionary prehistory, and it's part of the evolutionary prehistory of female sexuality that we have not dealt with and that we need to consider. And that we haven't integrated or talked about. We have not. We're much more comfortable with the chimp narrative where the females are sexually coerced and um, they're um, submissive, basically, and the males are dominant. But bonobos teach us another different lesson. So I just have one more question. From writing this book, you have gotten a lot of pushback about what's really true about women and sex mm. and what's really true about women and bonobos and what's really true about female mm-hmm. infidelity. Like, what's the biggest takeaway for you about the pushback that you're getting around this message that you're bringing out with untrue? That people don't like it when you mess with the comforting master narrative. Mm-hmm. And so when you tell people, well, actually what the research shows is that monogamy is a tighter fit for women in the aggregate than it is for men. Meaning it's not as comfortable for it's women. It's not as comfortable. It's harder for women. When you tell people that um, long-term relationships are especially hard, not on male desire, but on female desire, when you show people the data from Dietrich Klossmann's two longitudinal studies in Germany where he found that male desire ebbs very slowly over the course of 90 months, but female desire drops because women go off sex with the same partner over and over and over again more quickly than men do Mm -hmm. um people find this really upsetting i I had i've had people say to me for example when you talk about meredith chivers work the canadian sex researcher are you actually saying that women are as turned on by visual stimuli as men are um these are notions You're that changing the whole paradigm. I, I'm not. I mean, these mostly female scientists are, and I'm crossing it over. But I have found that when you mess with the master narrative, people get incredibly upset. However, the other thing that happens when you cross over this kind of more accurate information is that a lot of people feel really freed by it mm-hmm. and get in touch and say thank you and say I thought there was something wrong with me. I think there's a whole generation of women, like a silent majority of women struggling with monogamy, and they think that something's really wrong with them. But after they read my book, they will see that if you're a woman struggling with monogamy, you're just a woman being a woman. So that's a great place to stop and answer one question from a listener. Her name is Laura from San Francisco, and she says, I'm having an affair, and I'm not sure if I should tell my husband. What's your suggestion? Hi, Laura. I think you should read my book, and I think you <laughs> should... true by Wednesday but No, but I think you should also um, speak with a shrink. One of the trickiest things is to open a discussion about monogamy after you've already crossed a line, if you will. So, Talk with somebody non-judgmental with experience, um, somebody like Dr. Tammy. Get your talking points in order and have compassion for your partner because this might be really upsetting. But I will hope both you and your partner will keep in mind that this could be a, a new beginning for your relationship. As Dr. Tammy points out, monogamy is a spectrum. Um, and I think that working with that paradigm can help you and your partner. I think the new monogamy would be a great resource for you guys. Here's another question from one of our listeners about monogamy. Dear Dr. Tammy, how come my husband wants monogamy and I don't? Is this natural? Uh, So let's talk a little bit about creating a monogamy agreement. There is some question about whether or not we as humans are born to be monogamous. You know, evolutionary scientists argue about this. Frankly, I don't think we're born knowing how to eat with a fork either, but we can learn. As humans, we have a prefrontal cortex where we can make a decision about things like this. 
you know, no one's forcing you to be monogamous. It is a choice and it's a choice you got to make every day. But you can choose what kind of monogamy you want. So it doesn't have to be your grandparents' monogamy. You don't have to have the monogamy that has been around for 200 years because 200 years ago, we only lived to be an average of 38 years old. So by the time you got bored, you were dead, frankly. Today, you know, we live to be like 90 and we're expected to have the same kind of monogamy or marriage that we did back then. It's a little bit harder. So monogamy has morphed into something a little bit different, which means... You don't have to get married to have sex. You don't have to get married to have kids. You don't have to get married to have a mortgage or even to have life insurance. So it's a choice. And I would encourage you to have a conversation about the choices that you want in your monogamy. Do you want to agree that you're not going to watch porn or that you are going to watch porn? Is that part of your monogamy agreement? Are you going to agree that you're not going to talk to any ex-boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook? Are you going to agree that you're going to tell each other every time you go out to lunch with someone and talk shade about your relationship? Like, what is your monogamy agreement going to include? Is it going to include going out dancing with other people? Is it going to include going out on dates with other people? Is it going to include having sex with other people as long as you tell each other? I'm not the judge of your monogamy, but I think you should be. I think the two of you should decide what your monogamy agreement is going to look like. And I think you should renew it often. I think you should have this conversation a lot. I mean, you renew your driver's license every two years. Why wouldn't you renew your monogamy agreement? We change and we grow and we want different things. So if you're having trouble figuring out what are the questions to ask each other, I have a list in my book, The New Monogamy, that can spark a conversation about how to create your new monogamy agreement at any point in your relationship. To find out more, you can go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex. Thanks again, Wednesday, for Thanks being for on the Trouble Thanks for having me, Tammy. Aww. It was great to be here. I loved unpacking this topic and discussing one of the biggest issues and the most triggering, apparently, for people. And I'm going to talk more about those bonobos with everyone I know. They're the best. <laughs> This episode of The Trouble with Sex was sponsored by our friends at Good Clean Love, revolutionizing sexual health with organic and natural solutions made by women for women. If you'd like to learn more about our show, follow us on social media, join our mailing list, or get your free bonus exercise to do at home. Go to thetroublewithsex.com slash podcast. That's thetroublewithsex.com slash podcast. Trouble with Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Leah Shaw and Tao Blake are our audio engineers. The show is edited by Leah Shaw with music by Bruce Hirschfield. Our production assistant is Alec Bodoin.